0: From the New Testament, a reading from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. The word of the Lord. Good
1: morning. Good morning, Happy Father's Day, and uh, this is a time where we celebrate uh, our children or our or our fathers. And sometimes this it can be a difficult uh, day as well. And if it's a difficult day for you, I just want to encourage you, as for me, that uh, just start praying a prayer or Thanksgiving, because sometimes we can focus on the stuff that we don't have in life, and and focus on the stuff that we wish we had. But we take a lot of things for granted of what we do have, and I got an incredible Father's Day email uh, from somebody in the church named Kavita, and she goes, "I know you're not. I know that you're not old enough to be my dad." And I go, "Thank God." And she goes, "Thank you for being a great father figure to me. Thank you for this. And it just meant a lot to me." So just a little things like that can be such an encouragement. Let, let me pray. We're going to be focusing on fathers. We're going to be interviewing interviewing a father today and our message will be focused on a father and a son relationship so let's pray father we thank you we thank you for the opportunity to get in your word we thank you lord for today and we just pray lord if this is a day of celebration for many of us let it be a day of celebration if this is a difficult day let it be a day of comfort and grace we just thank you lord in jesus name we pray and everyone said amen Amen. i'm going to ask if paul wilkinson can come forward Paul is my buddy. Now, Paul, how long have you been going to this church? All together. Eight, well, how many? 17 years. Good night. That's a long time. 15 years, and it seems like 17, <laughs> in, a, in a good sense. you go up And so um, I, I think this is appropriate, because a lot of us knew Paul and Peggy, and we we're just... Um, It's been three years since Peggy passed away, uh, this month from cancer. And uh, so I was in the conversation with Paul, and I'm going in this different direction here, is Paul was sharing to me about restoration, about being restored in order to restore. And he was telling me stuff that I just had no idea. And what's interesting, so I want you maybe to start off the pre-Peggy years. Because what I see now and what you described yourself before are two completely different people. So tell me what your childhood was like when you went to college, or if you went, did you go to college? Yes. Because <laughs> you're an engineer. Am I,
2: can you hear me? Yeah. You can? No?
1: No? 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 You just gotta no. speak up. La, 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 la. Check one, two. All right. Yeah, Ready? we're going Thumbs to sing. Up? We're going to sing this interview. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 right.
2: um, okay. So, I um, uh, I'll start out by saying I I uh, I crave approval. Maybe like a lot of you do. I don't know. Um, and I a lot of you see the you know. What I like you to see, and um, you know, I, I have I have an advanced degree in the sciences. You know, I, I play on the worship team, and um, so I think a lot of people think that I'm, you know, just maybe I've always been super responsible and just you know always knew what I wanted to do. Um, but coming, uh, let's see, back when I was in in college, uh, <clears throat> I had a I had a really rough year when my uh, my mom, who's right there, um, was was kind of on track to be hired by the college and they ended up kind of excluding her. They had wanted to hire the academic dean's daughter instead and um, even though she wasn't really qualified
1: yet. it's so a little political Anyway, things. so some
2: political stuff. So, to kind of stick it to them, I stopped going to class.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh. Uh, I bet that changed them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were like, oh, we're sorry, please come back.
2: I, I, I failed a bunch of my classes. Um, and I got to a kind of a really dark place. I was going to a counselor. I was, um, <clears throat> which, by the way, counseling is great, and uh, I think everyone could benefit from counseling.
1: But you were bitter.
2: I was really bitter, okay. and, um, you know, I was... Also that summer, you know, I was I was just really listing, you know, just had no idea what my direction was, and I was working at a guitar store, uh, and I ended up getting fired from that job, and got to a low point where I just I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I had finished four years of school, I had a lot of debt, and had no degree, and didn't really know if I what I wanted to do or. Or anything, and a friend of mine, uh, my friend Brian, who I'm still very close to. He said, "Hey, I'm moving to Portland. Why don't you come with me?" And I had no better answer at the time. But I was just, I, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. Okay, okay,
1: let so me I get this right. And your fourth, you were a senior in college, yeah. And this is what, so you just said, "Okay, forget it. I'm mad." <clears throat> so you you were close to graduation, so <laughs> you left before you received the diploma.
2: Uh, yeah, well, I, okay. I didn't have a degree yet because okay. I had switched my major. I okay. was majoring in chemistry at first, and I was like, well, maybe I want to be a musician. <laughs> and so I majored in music for a while, and then okay. I wasn't, I don't know. I was really indecisive, didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay. Very undisciplined, and trying to figure out how do you develop discipline? If you don't have discipline, you need discipline. <laughs> <laughs> so was like, it was a real conundrum. I had no idea. How, how do you get out of
1: that? Yeah. You, you moved, moved to Portland. So I moved to Portland. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay.
2: I think, uh, you know, I'd, I used to tell people I see God's fingerprints all over that. Um, in retrospect, had no idea. Right. And I found out, um, so this is where I met Peggy, was in Portland. And I had found out years later that this was, that that particular summer, um, my mother-in-law, Carol, Peggy's mom, mm-hmm.
1: had We have a picture of both of them. Oh, yeah. up here. okay.
2: There she is. Okay. And that's Zachary at the bottom there. Baby Zachary. That was when he was. Uh, yeah. right. He's nine now. So <laughs> it doesn't look like that. Okay. Um, and uh, anyway, she had just felt uh, a deep need to pray for the the man who would marry Peggy. Like there was like just a real need. Like whoever that was to her at that time right. was in trouble and needed prayer. <laughs> and that was you know my my one of my darkest times. Right.
1: And then the thing is, if you know Carol, Carol loved Peggy, and she, she was very forward with anyone, you know. She knew where you stand with her. So, so therefore, they, she began to pray. Now, how did you meet Peggy? When did you meet Peggy?
2: Um, <clears throat> yeah, so we just, uh, so Brian and I were trying to find a church. and Right those days you had phone
1: books (laughs) (laughs) okay no yelp (laughs) no yelp Yelp.
2: you had to look in the yellow pages okay find a church so we walked in and uh you know ran into into peggy okay
1: but she liked brian so did you really (laughs) (laughs) okay then brian wasn't interested in peggy so peggy and you kind of hooked up (laughs) So how did these prayers affect your life when it comes to somebody whether that was totally undisciplined in life? Where did you feel the direction of going? Because you, you said, I didn't have a discipline. I didn't have an example of discipline. So how did you begin this restoration process in your life to be who you are now?
2: Well, um, this this is where I think it kind of touches on what you're going to talk about okay. later. Is like I didn't... I. I didn't it's not like all of a sudden I had discipline or I I, I just kind of looking back it's like God was working on that it's like I was saying God give me discipline to develop discipline help me figure out what to do here and then the whole time it's like I'm working on it it's you're you're going through it you just don't see it yet
1: right that that's a deep statement because a lot of us feel abandoned by God but you realize in hindsight that he was taking you through this yeah
2: And I I think um, a a lot of that process was, uh, you know, being, uh, having this amazing gift of having someone so emotionally healthy marry me and put up with all of my garbage. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And and Peggy's family also just really, you know, just really to have a lot of conversations with them, and mm-hmm. you know that directed me back to her as well. Let's let's think about what you want to do with okay. life, and let's figure all that out. So,
1: in, in a sense, and we're going to talk about this today, is you kind of weren't looking for grace, but you kind of fell into grace, and the grace given to my Jean, the mother, and Peggy yeah. as well.
2: Yes, um, I think I was looking for a specific, you know, what I thought grace would look like. You know, maybe like a, a magical, just turning the corner, and all of a sudden I'm great. Um, and and so I <laughs> that's a I, big I, corner. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. So I didn't recognize at the time what was happening, um, but it was it was it was it was happening.
1: Okay. Okay. Now l- let me ask you this, because restoration and grace, we need to fall in it constantly. And so therefore, you kind of got your life together. You finished college, and you're an engineer right now. And we're not talking about Griffith Park. We're talking about. Um, an engineer, where do you work? Um, I'm a a physical chemist, okay. So discipline is his job now. So you go from undisciplined through the power of prayer of a mother and the power of prayer of a future wife that's been praying and therefore attending church and stuff, then you get fully this. Now let's speed up to three years ago, okay? When your wife was sick, Uh, because we did the hair cutting thing we had we were excited about the healing process, but did you experience the grace of God even in the midst of losing Peggy?
2: Yeah, I think um, there was. Uh, y- y- you've talked before about needing to be rebuilt right. many times over your life, and um, you know I look at that that early chapter of coming out of college as one of the times when I've you know it wasn't more it wasn't quite like a rebuilding but that was right. that was one of the one of the pivotal points in my life where I was starting to experience grace and going through um, <clears throat> so it's not only not only that period but even even the period from finding the church here. Right. And meeting all of you guys, um, and and Peggy being sick, um, that was another time when I had to kind of step up and learn a lot more discipline, become a lot more responsible, be ready to uh, raise the kids uh, by myself for a while. Right. right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely I had to, God was working on me there.
1: Yeah, and And it's difficult. It was difficult seeing you go through and stuff like that. Now, while we wind this down a little, um, one thing that you and I were talking about, you were saying, change is hard. Change was a little easier when you were young and college, yeah, let's move to Oregon, you know, and stuff like that. But ever since Peggy's death, change has been difficult. And you also said to me, you go, know, Kevin, and this is my interpretation, because Paul's last Sunday is this Sunday. He's moving to San Diego because of his work. And so this is very difficult for you, leaving this church and changing, uh, because of the change that happened with the loss of Peggy. Explain that, how that, yeah, um
2: there is yeah, saying so any anytime I have to say goodbye is something that you know my my head knows the difference between you know saying goodbye, I might see you again later, and the the loss that that of Peggy and the grief that I felt there, but my heart doesn't know the difference a lot of times. Um, and so saying goodbye to you know this church you guys have all been like family um, for a long time it's you know it feels intense you know and it feels it's harder than it was before um, just to say goodbye because uh, it, it feels like loss again you right. know and so but and I, I, I do, I do want to emphasize that for you know, a lot of God's grace in my life has been just doing life with so many of you, and um, you know, getting getting hugs, um, having time before and after worship team to connect. It's been like a, you know, it's been like the worship team has been like a small group, and just so many of you have just, you know, you've walked through loss uh, with with me and my family, and it's it's hard to describe. And so many of you, you know, I've not stayed super connected with, and there's a lot of shame there as well, which is crazy because I wouldn't expect any of you guys to, you know, I wouldn't be mad at you if you <laughs> stay in contact with me. But at the same time, there's shame there, and I'm still working on that. All and, right. um,
1: so I, I was thinking what we can do is we can have, uh, we want to pray for Paul. And, um, and we know this is difficult for us because I, I kept telling him, I'm praying that you lose your job. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did when he moved to Washington for that one year and he moved back. That worked. <laughs> but I, you know, that would be self-centered. But sometimes our prayers are self-centered. But Paul has been incredible and is an incredible process of restoration. And uh, for, when it comes to restoration, we all have scars. We all show it. But Paul is one of the most authentic. Even just sharing right now, of just struggling with shame. Just being honest. And a lot of us don't open up with our brokenness and our, our stuff. So would you mind if we just uh, stand and... Uh, uh we'll have paul stand there just if you can put your hands upon paul if you like and um welcome this is not an easy father's day for him. we'll just stand here you guys can come forward and place your hands upon paul and um i'm sorry <laughs> get rid of the shame it's gonna, it's gonna We're going to, yeah. <laughs> so uh or just if you can't just put your hands forward and uh father we just thank you lord for paul man this is just as hard It's hard on him because change is difficult for all of us. But we just pray, Lord, that you anoint Paul and Kenzie and their marriage and and anoint the kids. And I just pray, Lord, that as they move to uh, the San Diego area, that you will bless them in many ways. We just thank you, Lord, for these 14, 15 years of season that we had and during the good times and the difficult times and the stuff that we have bonded together as a family. But we pray, Lord, that we will continue to be this family and continue to celebrate as he celebrates and, and we're sad when he's sad. And we just pray, Lord, again, for his two children, Zach and say. We ask him to bless them. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. 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 God bless. God bless. <laughs> Please don't move. Anyone? You know, you may be seated. No, I'm not saying move. You guys could move and sit. I want to give an illustration. Maybe you guys can connect with this illustration. Let's imagine that you're at the Fox Hill Mall. You know where that mall is. And you're in the food court and you decided you were going to finish shopping. And you have four or five bags with you and you parked next to our, the upper level of Target. And so now you're walking in the food court, and if you walk in the food court to Target, there's roughly about six or seven stairs that you walk down, and another six or seven stairs that you walk down as well. Now imagine you're not paying attention, and the mall is full, and therefore you take a second step down the staircase, and your heel just touches the step, but not enough weight to hold you. Therefore, you start slipping and falling, and you try to compensate because your arms are saying to you, oh, this is going to be bad. And so, therefore, you let go of the packages, anticipating a great fall, while your left leg is trying to get balance. Then when you're doing that, your upper torso decides, I'm going to try to beat my feet all the way down the staircase. And so there is a race between your feet and your upper torso, and your arms go, this is not going to be good, and your arms go out this way. Now, when you hit the ground, you bounce slightly. You get in a fetal position, and you lay there for a split second. You're hoping the mall is completely empty. You don't want to see anybody. You want to do this. And so what you do is you do your best acting job ever. When somebody runs up to you and say, are you okay, you go, yes, I'm fine. You get up anticipating any facial expression that you have on your face. You do not want to look like it's in pain, so you're smiling. But yeah, deep down, you want to cry. You're bleeding from your knees, you're bleeding from your elbows, and somebody said you're bleeding, and you go, no, it's just a flesh wound. And so you try to walk away without a limp. Have you ever been in that position before, where you fall publicly and you just go, I'm fine, I'm fine, and and, and everything's okay? I've done this too. And we lie. We say we're fine. The reason I'm starting off this way is last week I started a new series called The Road to Restoration. And I talked about the big denial, that we live in denial a lot of the times when it comes to life, and we think we have the power to control and fix every situation that we face today. That somehow our society has taught us that we need to be self, self-dependent, that we don't need anybody else, that we can handle this ourselves. But if you look on the screen, it says that's why God has allowed us to trip and fall sometimes. Tripping and falling in life often offers us this opportunity for us to fall into the world of grace. Now, let me tell you this: see, the thing is, if we think we we don't we don't we don't, don't need help, then it's hard for anyone when we're self-sufficient. It's hard for any of us to really experience, let alone embrace grace, right? Because we don't think we need it. And especially, it's an awesome power of grace. In fact, on the screen, it says this. Grace is something that can only be given to those in need of it and can never be earned by those who don't think they need it. See, here's the thing. I believe this. Life, we make life a much bigger struggle than it ought to be. I've always said this to myself. Life should not be this complicated. It should not be this difficult, but somehow we make it difficult with our self-sufficient attitude that we can do this on our own. In fact, if you look back on the screen, it says this, we are struggling through life trying to manage everything in our own strength and power. We like the feeling of pride of being powerful and control, but we hate the struggle that comes with having to maintain it. There is this higher power than than pride and human effort. It's called the power of grace, but often the only way we find it is through stumbling into it. See, this is where we need to embrace it. That reminds us of a story of a father and a son. It's called the prodigal son. You all know that story. It's the most dysfunctional little brat kid, you know, that you just, man, if I was a father, it would be a whole nother parable. Let me tell you right now. But but, but, but we all know this, and let me give you the short version of it. This little punk kid goes to his dad and says, I want my inheritance, which basically is saying, I wish you were dead, right? I don't want anything to do with you. I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing. And so you can pretty much predict what's going to happen with an immature, bratty little kid that doesn't deserve anything except a whipping gets his inheritance and we know the story this guy just went crazy party 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 prostitute after prostitute after prostitute until he lost all his dad's money and his inheritance and so all of a sudden he's feeding these animals which we've known as pigs and he's starving and these pigs are eating better than him so somehow this guy came to his senses and what if we look at this, this is a major fall point. This is more than the seven stories of the Fox Hill Mall, the seven stairs at the Fox Hills Mall. This guy fell big time. And so then he figured out the census here. And in verse 17, it says this But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger, and I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So this guy knew, dad's not going to be calling me Dad. Uh, son. He knew by his own way of thinking that, man, I don't deserve him to be, this guy to be my father anymore. And maybe he'll treat me like a slave. That's what goes on the screen, because all of us have done this. Desperation often leads us to grace. There's been in life that we go, man, I am desperate. I cannot figure this out. I cannot control this. I I do not know the answer to this. And so, therefore, we get desperation, and in that desperation, this is where grace finds us. Now, notice what happens in the next. The lost son pretty much had nothing to do with finding grace. Grace found him. In fact, look at Luke 15, 20. So he set off and went to his father for a while. He was still far away, far off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. See, this prideful kid did not know anything about grace. He never experienced it. He never thought he needed it. But right now, grace found him through his death. Grace found him. In fact, if you look on the screen, but while he was still far off, even before he sees his father, his father sees him and runs to give him his loving embrace. Grace found the son. The son did not find grace. All he did was stumble and fall into it. But that's not all. See, when I look at this passage, I go, well, that's a great passage, prodigal son, stuff like that. But I cannot connect to the prodigal son. I've never asked my dad's inheritance. Would have been about thirty bucks if I did, but I never thought of that. I've always been the good kid. I always done the things, and so this is where he, uh, where this um, son was basically saying, "Treat me like a slave. Let me be one of your servants." And he said nonsense. And not only he said nonsense. He said, "Let's celebrate." Let's have a party of welcoming home, my son. This kid did not deserve a party. There is no way. You would think as a biological father or your father or your son, that's the last thing you would do is give your son grace. And this is an example of what grace is. It's on the screen. That's grace. It's only grace if it is loving kindness that's completely unearned and undeserved. Right? And so this is where we experience this tremendous grace. And, And the thing is, this is the big problem for a lot of us because we're so busy trying to earn, as Paul even said, to be loved, to be cared for. If I do this right, if I do this right, therefore I'll be loved. Pastors love it because I can be loved by you guys one week. And if I say something controversial that you don't like, like... Jeff Sessions should not be quoting scripture right now. And if you're a Jeff Sessions fan, you can get totally against it. And then your love is conditional. Or, or love. This is where God's love is not conditional. This is what grace is. This is why the story doesn't end. Because he talks about the older brother. And this is where it's convicting with me. This is where he goes, oh, shoot. Because I can connect to the good brother, the good son. See, while the little brother was wasting the money of his father, that the other son was doing everything right. Have you done that? He was being responsible. He was taking care of it. He was listening to his dad, doing things right, taking care of the family business. And so now this little punk little kid, brother of his, comes out and gets a celebration? after he squandered all his money? In fact, if you look on the screen, the older brother had never fallen in his life. While the little spoiled brother had done everything wrong, he toiled, sweated buckets, busted his backside to do everything right for his father. Why didn't he get a party? See, this is where I struggle with this because sometimes when we're doing everything right, when we're the good kid or doing things, we get the self-entitlement, don't we? You listen to our prayers sometimes. Lord, you need to be doing this because I'm entitled it. You know, Sudan prayers, when I'm in Sudan, and American evangelical prayers, there's a self-entitlement in the American evangelical. But in Sudan, man, it's just grace. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you. Just taking it for granted. And so if you look on the screen, we feel entitled because we feel that we've earned the right. And so this is where the story, where the father begs the older son to come to the party. And he says, look, please come. And this is what he tells his dad. And man, a lot of us with a self-entitlement can connect to this. He says this, starting in verse 29. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. And I've never disobeyed your commandment, yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might even celebrate with my friends. But when this son, he doesn't say my brother, when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property and prostitute? You killed the fatted calf for him. This guy's right, right? If you look at this, this is exactly what's going on. And if you're like me, have done everything right they've done this and you 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 followed, the, you obeyed everything and you see this tremendous grace given out to somebody else you just go that's not fair this is really easy what Jesus is doing he's trying to change the mindset of people that are thinking here this is a more powerful part of the story than the prodigal son itself and so but this is so hard for us to understand grace when we don't give it it says this on the screen. Jesus told the story to disrupt our normal way of thinking. God's loving kindness can't be earned. It is not something we get because we worked hard for it. It is something that is just available to us because of who we are and not because of what we have done. We are God's beloved sons and daughters, but like the younger son, we often don't understand who we really are until we stumble and fall into the discovery that nothing we have done no matter how bad changes the fact that God loves us because we are a child not a slave who must earn our keep but unfortunately those who like the older brother are often too busy working like slaves trying to earn God's approval to understand that God already accepts and loves them as beloved children this is where we should not be struggling with shame because when we have a full understanding that God loves you for you, not what you do, not what you've done, not that you're consistent and you're, and you're good at your finances, you're good and all this stuff. And so, and I noticed this, and sometimes, and let me be all honest with you, I, I, I embrace my disabilities because I have to, but financially, I'm very responsible and so when I see people that aren't responsible financially, that want money, do I give grace or do I give judgment? Do you see? Because somehow I've earned the right and I'm self-entitled because I pull up my bootstraps, whatever that means, and I got my life together. That's Pride. And so, therefore, if you don't experience grace, it's really hard to give it, right? See, this is what Richard Rohr says about this. It seems that God would rather have someone who gets it wrong and gets it right than someone who supposedly gets it right but then gets it wrong. That's why it's on the screen. You've got to read it. <laughs> okay? Now, I'm not saying intentionally mess up so you can get it wrong first and then get it right. But the story is warning us that busting our tail and trying to get approval from everybody, trying to get approval from God, is going to sap your joy. And so it's hard that if you think that you have to earn God's love, then you focus on the self-entitlement, and then you're filled with pride. And therefore, life is very, very difficult. That's why it's interesting, going back to the analogy I used, I had some physical scars because I've fallen. But it reminds me of the grace that I have, the grace that I did receive, whether they're emotional scars or physical scars. Now, one thing I want to read real quick is I went into Peggy's blog, and the last blog that she ever said was called Scars. And she talks about the grace of God, and she talks about the authenticity. But yet, you can tell that Paul was giving her some wisdom from his restoration. And let me read it for you. It's on the screen. She said this. This is the last month when she died. Last Sunday, I'm pretty sure 90% of the Protestants pastors preached of Doubting Thomas. I've heard lots of sermons about him. And although I suppose, if I'm being honest, I can't really tell you what they're about. I guess when I read the story, I always think of God's grace. God's grace how he still loved Thomas even though he doubted. Our pastor on Sunday made a point about how Thomas was still accepted even in the midst of his disbelief and how we as a church fail to accept people when they are in the mood mode of disbelief. Very good point, I think. But that's not the point I want to make here either. After church, Paul said something that lines up with what I feel like I'm learning over and over again these days. He pointed out that Thomas said, unless I see the scars in his hands, I will not believe. He didn't say, unless I get a hug from him, unless I see his face, or until I talk with him over coffee. He wanted to see the scars. There's a story of saying or something that says something like when we ask, Where is Jesus? We should be really asking, what does Jesus want me to do? The idea that Jesus' love must be shown by us who claim to love him. But here's the thing. What if all of us living in this world, those who cling to Christ, those who don't believe, what if all of us are just asking to see his scars? When we see his scar, then we'll believe. I think that is what we are called to show each other, to be authentic. Yes, of course we need to give love and we show these, those scars but so often we try to give love simply by doing nice things or with advice and we do these things all while holding up the lie because it's a huge lie that we have it all together. We aren't willing to even admit that we have scars let alone show them. See, if you look at this This is what Peggy's getting. This is what Paul got three years ago. That when it comes to authentic showing, that we need to show, that we need to say, yes, I have fallen. And we need to fall right into God's grace. This is what Peggy said. In fact, if you look on the screen, this is my challenge to us. We begin to walk by faith and not by sight. We get up and return home, even though we aren't sure how it's going to end up. But when we do find that God runs to embrace us, in fact, God has already run to our world to embrace us in Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, we are only able to love because God's first loved us. When we return the embrace given to us in Jesus, the old hard life is striving to maintain control and power in order to measure up is gone. We now find ourselves in a new higher power of God's love and grace. So let me end up in this powerful scripture here that we read this morning. And I thought, as we, um, whoever's doing the prayers, the people want you to be ready. But um, if we could stand and quote the scripture together, because this is so powerful of the, in the New Testament. And if we can just say this together, and this could be our scripture for the week, when we learn to embrace his grace, when we learn to fall in his grace, And so let's say this in unison. So if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new.